Good morning, good Monday morning. Hello, humans. Hello, humans of the world. It's me, Ellie Krug, on Ellie 2.0 Radio on AM 950. How are you all? We're just past Pride, the Pride weekend in Minneapolis. I wonder if you got to it. I wonder if you were part of the 400,000 people that went to Loring Park. Wow. So congratulations if you were. And... Um, and happy June here in Minnesota, which means uh, it's still some days not getting above 68 degrees, but nonetheless, um, it's way better than 32 below. So I'm always feeling good. So we have a great show here. I've got uh, some students coming in from Minnetonka High School to talk about their community lettering. They're getting lettering in community service. I mean, I think it's just very idealistic program and these students are highly idealistic. I think that you will like them greatly. And then in my C block, I'm going to talk about um, uh, something that happened to, uh, with me last week. I got an award of some type and um, I've got some bumpiness around it. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but before we begin, I want to give you an update on um, a show that we did a couple of weeks ago. Remember, we I, I talked about Scott Warren, the man out in Arizona being tried in federal court in Arizona. I spoke about him on my June 10th show. I talked about him and uh, the organization he's affiliated with, No More Deaths. That's the organization that goes out into the desert, leaves water and food for people who are crossing the border. Um, Scott Warren was being prosecuted for um, a violation of federal human smuggling uh, laws. He went through a jury trial in uh, Tucson and last late last week, uh, so remember we're taping this show, late last week a jury came back, well they didn't come back, a jury got hung um, on uh, an inability to convict him of charges of human smuggling. The way the jury went, there were eight in favor of acquitting him and four in favor of convicting him. So there was a, a hung jury in the Scott Warren case um, that it'll now be up to the U.S. attorney in Tucson as to whether they will retry Scott Warren. I am hoping that the U.S. attorney in Tucson has a good heart and chooses not to do that. So stay, stay tuned and we'll see. So um, I wanted to talk about, for this first segment, my A block, I wanted to talk about um, uh, a group of idealists that I met last week in Chicago. Um, and uh, it was a, a group of lawyers. I was invited to... Uh, be on a panel of lawyers to talk about diversity and inclusion in the legal profession. Uh, the panel was at the law firm of Jenner and Block, uh, one of the largest law firms in the country. Um, according to Wikipedia, they're the 103rd largest law firm in the country. And trust me, there are a whole lot of law firms in the country. They've got several, many hundreds of lawyers. I was on the 45th floor of their offices overlooking downtown Chicago and Lake Michigan. Trust me, it was a beautiful setting. And uh, the group uh, that I was with, that uh, I was on a panel, and I'll give that to you in a second, we spoke to a group of about 120 people representing all kinds of sectors in the employment, um, you know, in various businesses. And on the panel were all lawyers. So one of the panelists was Juliana Richardson, who at one time had practiced law, but now more recently had founded an organization called The History Makers, 
which is the nation's largest African-American video oral history collection, consisting of almost 2,700 interviews of black colored people about them making their way through the world. Um, and I, uh, as part of this panel, she showed uh, several of those uh, very brief clips from interviews of lawyers trying to, who were trying to make their way in the legal profession in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and early 2000s and the challenges that they had. Also on the panel was a man named Rick Palmore. Uh, he was the former general counsel at General Mills. The thing about Rick Palmore is that um, in the 1990s, um, he decided that General Mills needed to start pressing for more diverse law firms that were servicing General Mills. So General Mills, you know, multi-billion, billion-dollar company, they have their own law firm, which uh, Rick Palmore was the general counsel. So he headed that firm interior inside of General Mills, but they used um, dozens and dozens of law firms outside of General Mills, so private law firms to do much of their legal business, far more of their legal business than what they did in-house. And in the early 1990s, Rick Palmore said, we're going to work to make the legal profession more diverse, and he started mandating that outside counsel for General Mills needed to start hiring more diverse attorneys, primarily attorneys of color, but you know, we've got attorneys who have disab visible disabilities, attorneys who have who are LGBTQ, like Ellie Krug here. And so um, he mandated that. And in the process of doing that, he enlisted general counsel from other major corporations on this movement to diversify outside law firms. And I'm going to tell you, um, uh, Rick Palmore, his, um, his movement um, to do that has... Uh, sent shockwaves through the legal community in a positive way. And then we had Joe Dominguez, um, who is the CEO of ComEd, the largest utility, one of the largest utilities in the country based out of Chicago. Um, and uh, he's also a lawyer. And then on the panel was me. The panel was organized by a lawyer by the name of Randy Merberg, who is a former assistant to Ron Emanuel, Chicago's former mayor. And Randy has a long history <clears throat> of doing good in the world, which I'll get to in a second. Now, I know I just threw a lot of names out uh, at you, and I just wanted to make sure everybody got credit. Here's why I'm telling you about all of these people. Each is working to change the way law firms hire and retain people who are quote-unquote other. Historically, the legal profession has been of a very white color, very male-dominated. Um, and even today, in 2019, that remains the case that the vast majority of law firms, of legal employers, outside of the government or outside of um, uh, legal, um, uh, legal departments for uh, corporations, the private law firms, still are, historic, are now continue to be dominated by white-color, older uh, males. Um, that remains the case, even though today more than 50% of the graduates coming out of law school are women, um, and it remains the case today in the Twin Cities, even though the population of people of color other than the white color in Minneapolis and St. Paul is somewhere hovering around 30 to 35 to 38 percent. Most law firms here in the Twin Cities are nowhere close to that percentage of lawyers of color other than white.
At best, um, the law firms here in the Twin Cities may have five to 10% of their lawyers are being lawyers of color other than the white color. And in today, even in the Twin Cities, there are many law firms in the Twin Cities that are still comprised of people who are all of white color. This is a huge problem in the profession. So in Chicago, there was a spirited debate about what to do. I mean, um, I'm not, I don't, I don't suffer this stuff lightly, let me tell you, because we need to think more boldly and we need to get over our fears about other. So, um, so I've told you a little bit about what Rick Palmore did. And, um, and as a result of that, as a result of General Mills drawing a line in the sand saying our outside counsel are going to become more diverse, other companies like 3M, um, Medtronic, um, and Target, also joined on that bandwagon. And now these firms, these multi-billion dollar corporations with their outside counsel are requiring outside counsel to provide written reports on the number of diverse attorneys that are hired. And then they're forcing those firms, those outside counsel, to actually use those lawyers on the legal work that companies like 3M and General Mills are giving them. Joe Dominguez, uh, the CEO of ComEd, um, talked about how they had used the clout of ComEd on their supply vendor chain so that they, so that today ComEd's 40% of their vendors um, and companies doing business with ComEd are either minority or women-owned. I mean, it's possible to do this. It is. It just takes a lot of work and it takes a lot of courage. The other takeaway from this panel in Chicago was the role of white-color men as champions or change agents. Um, White color, straight, cisgender men have great privilege in our country. They continue to do that even in 2019 with all that privilege. The moderator of the panel, Randy Merberg, a gender and block partner, has a long history of lifting up women and groups of people who are otherwise marginalized by our society. He has a great history of giving voice to people who are otherwise invisible. In fact, Randy was the one who reached out to me, Ellie Krug, invisible person, and asked me to be on this panel of very esteemed people. Randy Merberg has been on the boards of all kinds of organizations and nonprofits. And so if you are a white-color man listening to this show right at this minute, I have a question for you. Because you have great privilege in our society, and you have great power. Whether you're running a company of 5,000 people or a company of 10 people, you do. You have great power. My question to you is this. What are you doing with your privilege to shape the conversation around diversity, inclusivity, and equity? Are you using your clout to move the needle? If you want to, if you want to use your clout, you don't know how to do it, email me at lejkrug at gmail.com. I'll be happy to talk with you about it. Well, I'm going to run out of time on this segment, but I wanted to at least to get this out to you, let you know this is what's going on in the legal profession. It has its challenges, but it also has people that are working to make it better. So there you go. Hopefully you learned something there. So you're listening to me, Ellie Krug, um, with Ellie 2.0 Radio, Hopeless Idealist. If you like what you hear, visit my website at Ellie Krug. Will you follow me on Twitter? I am trying to get my Twitter followership up, so the handle is at Ellie Krug. When we come back from a break, I've got the Minnetonka students coming to talk with me about their program in lettering and community service. I love that idea. Back in a second. Take a minute to- 
At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. Branding electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. How long till my soul gets it right? Can any of you ever reach that kind of light? I call on the resting soul of Galileo, King of And we're back on AM 950 LA 2.0 Radio. Well, I will tell you, um, I hope that you enjoyed what I said about the role of straight, white-collar, cisgender men in helping to push diversity along. And now we're ready for the big interview, and I've got people in my uh, studio right now. I have three people who are going to talk about pushing uh, other things along in a different way. So um, I have from Minnetonka High School, I've got Michelle Seats, and Michelle, in a second, you'll need to give what your official position is, Astrid Laden and Susie Foster in my in my studio here. Welcome to LE 2.0 Radio, the three of you. Thank you for having us. We're, I'm thrilled that you are here. Um, and Michelle, uh, um, I, you and I, I reached out to you several weeks ago, well, a couple months ago at this point, because I had seen this thing um, in the Minnesota, in MinPost, the blog, about Minnetonka High doing this kind of incredibly cool thing about getting varsity letters in community service. You remember that? I sure do. And I, and I reached out because I thought it was a very cool idea. And so I reached out, and then uh, what is your uh, role at Minnetonka High? So uh, my official title is Community Service Specialist, but I'm the volunteer person for the school district, K-12. Okay, I bet you're also the cool mom of the neighborhood. <laughs> she definitely is. She's my in-school mom. Uh, okay. Thank you, Susie. All right, so there you go. See, I called it. I did, all right? And so we have, uh, we have you, Michelle here. And then Susie Foster, we have just graduated from Minnetonka High. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's correct. Heading to Cornell University. Cornell University. Nice credentials. And then we also have Astrid Laden, also recent graduate of Minnetonka High, correct? Mm-hmm. And, um, and Astrid, uh, you're going to go to um, a small school, kind of 
what is it called? Columbia University yeah. in little, New York little City? Little school. Yeah. A little school. So congratulations <laughs> to you. both of you for getting into Ivy League schools. Way to go. Thank you. Thank you. All right. And the two of you are here because you took part in this um, varsity letter uh, program. Do I have that right? Yeah. All right. So, Michelle, let's... Um, Let's talk. We kind of set the stage for us. Let us know what is this varsity letter program all about? Okay. So first of all, a shout out to Lori Lokar, who was my predecessor, who started the varsity letter and community service at Minnetonka High School. But basically, it's an opportunity for us to further celebrate our high level volunteers at the high school. They have to volunteer 150 hours or more in a 12 month period. So that's a high bar to make. Right, but there are some other requirements. They have to like yep. give 75 of those hours to a particular cause or organization, Correct. right? So it's we, not like you, know, you can go out and pull weeds for 150 hours and then you get it. That is true. We okay. do want to have a depth of knowledge for a cause or purpose, so that's why we have those 75 hours. In addition, they have to have two letters of recommendation, which can be either someone they serve, someone they serve with, or someone they served for. Okay. So it could be a, a second grader giving me a letter of recommendation, which which is always fun to get. I do enjoy those. And then a reflection project, which can be a variety of things. I personally like to interview them. It's a good skill set for them to have, as well as it gives me an opportunity to have a one-on-one in-depth meeting with each person receiving the award. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, okay, you so so Susie, I'm going to hit you first. What right. what did did you did you let her? I did. Uh, yes. Otherwise, why are you here? Of <laughs> yeah. course. And um and and did you let her in your senior year, or was it some other year in school? Did I let her all four years or three years? That's For sure three, possibly four. four. I'd have to look at my records. Okay, so I'd that, would, to look too. So that would mean each year you did 150 hours each year that you lettered? Yeah. All right, so what can you tell me what organizations did you volunteer for? How did you get your letter? Um, all kinds of organizations. Uh, one of the bigger ones I volunteered for was uh, Many Hands, Many Meals, or MHMM for short. Um a friend and I actually started a club at the high school where we were kind of dedicated to trying to help out that organization and sort of like promote their project, I suppose. Um, what do they do? They're very similar to Feed My Starving Children. So it's sort of that they pack meals and then they send them all over the world to kids who are hungry and in need. But the difference is they try and bring more youth involvement than Feed My Starving Children. They don't have as many age limits on stuff. And they try and make it more like family inclusive. Okay, so that's called Many Hands, Many Meals. Is that based out of the Twin Cities? It is. It's based out of uh, our sort of hometown for Minnetonka, which is Excelsior. And it's like in this church that is right downtown. Okay. All right. So you help pack meals and I assume do other things for them. Yes. Yeah. We do a lot of fundraising for them. We pack our own meals. Um, We've been... I think my friend and I have been running this club for two and a half years now, mm-hmm. roughly. Yep. Yeah. So this is a club at the school you've been running where yeah. you're recruiting students to help pack meals? Yes. Well, Many Hands, Many Meals was the separate organization. We decided to create a club that was sort of an extension of it in the high school itself. Okay. All and right. a lot of fundraising. And you yeah. were on the student board for the organization itself. Yeah, I was. Yep. Okay. So very cool. Very cool. All right. So Astrid, um, what... Uh, what did you, how many years did you let her? 
I lettered all, all four. four. Yeah, all okay. four years. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm um, Brett, my producer. I'm very intimidated right now by these folks. <laughs> I just want <laughs> to know that. <laughs> I am too. Okay. And Astrid, so give me a, a flavor of the organizations or organization that you worked for. Yeah. So I've been, my biggest service has been through my faith community um, with my church. So I have been teaching religious education since I was in fifth or sixth grade. So the earliest I've been able to, and I've continued that on up through my senior year. And so I've been teaching um, anywhere from preschool kindergartners on Sundays to middle schoolers on Wednesday nights. And then I'm also involved in various other aspects of my church, um, different assisting with masses or services, um, being involved in music ministry, a lot of things like that. Um, but I'm also a captain for Backpack Tutoring, which is a tutoring program we have at the high school that goes into a school in Minneapolis where the high majority of the students are years behind where they should be. And so I've been tutoring in Spanish and English since I'm bilingual and um, working with the kids there to try to catch them up on whatever grade level they need to be at. And so I've been working with Backpack Tutoring, my church, and then also um, World Without Genocide, which is a human rights organization in St. Paul with their summer institute every year and helping organize that and helping run it during the summer months. What's the school where you're doing the backpacking? So we've been doing it at um, two schools in the past. We're currently at one. We were at Jefferson Community School in Uptown, and then also Fallwell Performing Arts Magnet School in South Minneapolis. Okay, great. Well, um, okay, so holy cow, I mean, you're doing a lot. Uh, uh, Michelle, tell me, how many students did we have that lettered at we had uh, roughly Minnetonka in community service? Roughly 55 lettered this past year. Okay, yeah. out of how many students? We have, in the high school, we have about 4,000 students. Okay, well, that's not a number that's astounding me. But. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, and, and, and the whole idea, I take it, and we're going to have to take a break here in a second, but I take it the whole idea here really is about um, recognizing that humans can do other things other than sports and be yeah. and be accorded some kind of official recognition as a result. Absolutely. Well-rounded students, for sure. Okay. Well, that's exactly what we want in the world, don't we? Well, when we come back, uh, now it's going to get more difficult because I'm going to want to talk with you about being idealist. Even though you don't know that you are, you are idealist, and we can talk about it, and I want to know about how you got there. Okay? All right, listeners, we've been speaking with folks from Minnetonka High School about their varsity letter in community service program. You're listening to me, Ellie Krug. Uh, if you like what you hear, visit my website at elliekrug.com. And you know I love it when you email me at elliejkrug at gmail.com. Hope you're enjoying this. We're going to get into some meat when we come back. Thanks. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. Better Futures Minnesota is a social enterprise which helps men achieve self-sufficiency and a better future for themselves and their communities. We need your help. By donating time or funds to our cause, you can support us and promote a healthier environment. 
By hiring our deconstruction crews for your next residential or commercial project and shopping or donating building materials or appliances to our reuse retail warehouse, you are supporting Better Futures Minnesota and your community. Please visit BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn more. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. We're back on AM 950. Ellie Krug here um, with Ellie 2.0 Radio. We, uh, I, have, I have this incredible experience and, and honor of having three humans in my studio. Usually it's uh, tough work for me to get one, and I've got three. So this is wonderful. I have Michelle Seats here from Minnetonka High School who helps coordinate and oversee their varsity letter and community service program. And then I have Astrid Laden and Susie Foster with me, two uh, just graduated uh, seniors, so you're no longer seniors. Now you're going to be college freshmen um, who are, are here and took part in the program. So before we took our break, I, I heard from both of you. So Astrid, uh, you got involved with your church and doing, um, and then doing some community programming around um, mentoring to students in um, underachieving schools. It's a very bad phrase on my part, but I can't come up with a quicker phrase to do it. And Susie, you you spoke about um, being involved with a program called Many Hands, Many Meals. Both of you, uh, Susie, you think you lettered for three years out of four. Um, Astrid, you lettered four years out of four, and this is a letter in community service. And is it the same kind of letter that the that the uh, everybody, player, get, yep. everybody gets exactly same the same letter and yep. you get to wear a letter jacket if and... they wish uh, yeah not very many students get the letter jacket but there are options they can do banners and just okay. have it all okay. sorts of things all right well that <laughs> and then michelle you're i mean you get to have this really cool place of sitting back and watching these students do things it is pretty fantastic i routinely have kids that come in and say i would like to help with special needs kids how do i get to do that i would like to help with senior citizens how do i get to do that it's the best job in the world i i just love it and i love that you have people coming through although um, i i would love to see those numbers a little bit more than 55 out of 4,000 students but you know and, the, and a small correction around 3,200 students okay so, yeah, all right yeah. It's not getting a whole lot better, okay? So I just want you to know that. Yes. All right, but before we broke, okay, I said that I wanted to know both uh, Susie and Astrid, you know, what made you idealists, okay? Because 150 hours on top of regular schoolwork, right? This is not like in lieu of a class. Do I have that right? Yeah, that's right. You do it um, in your own time, um, outside of class, outside of sports, outside of any other activities you might be doing. Yeah. So this is a lot of work, okay? And it, and and so what <clears throat> what has made I, both of you idealistic? I mean, you know, maybe you hadn't considered that you were idealist before you came on this show, but I assure you that you are. And I would urge you when you go away that you term yourself that way because we frankly don't use that phrase nearly enough anymore. When I was growing up, that was like a big phrase. Okay. So Astrid, tell me what made you an idealist? 
I think it was realizing the position that I had and kind of the responsibility that came along with that position um, and kind of seeing myself an ideal. I've never called myself an idealist. I don't really, that term is something that's kind of hard for me to grasp, I guess. But I think it's just the idea that I have a position and I have a responsibility to uphold that position that I've give, been given and the fact that, you know, I've been given these gifts and I've been given these talents that it would be a shame for me not to share them with others and a shame for me not to be able to allow others the same opportunities that I've been given. So especially um, with the tutoring, both mm-hmm. with the Minneapolis public school system, as well as at Mary's place at sharing and caring hands that I've done often, I've just kind of been realizing that um, there's almost a duty that I have to give back. And it's not a sense of obligation that I feel that I have to. I just feel that if I would not, there would be something missing from me and that I'm kind of, um, I kind of have this place that I have to uphold and give people the same opportunities that I was given as well. Michelle, that, that was an idealist just speaking. Uh, yeah, of. yeah. I will agree. <laughs> I will agree. So just, just saying for the record. And uh, listeners, um, you might want to know that um, Astrid um, had a piece uh, picked up by the New York Times. Is that right? Yes. You wrote yeah. uh, a paper about... Um, about uh, public libraries that yes. you have a great love for. Is exactly. That it was my actually my college admissions essay that I sent to Columbia for admissions, and it was um, topic was work, money, and social class. And so I wrote about the library and how when we were going through tough financial situations and even before when I was younger and we were in you know really good places, the library has always been kind of this firm foundation mm-hmm. for me. And now that I work there, I can continue on this um, community building place in this place that's so essential to the area that we live in. Well, it's a great feather in your cap to get the New York Times to write, you know, to publish anything from yeah. you. So because, trust me, because I've been trying to get them to write, publish my stuff. So congratulations. <laughs> way to go. Thank and by so the much. way, we're off the air. I told you we're both library lovers, yeah, right? Exactly. You know, I love libraries. So Susie, okay, so you got a little bit of time to think. Here you go. Yeah. What, what, what's made you an idealist? Hard to follow up Astrid's answer because hers was great. But um, I think it's along the similar lines. Um, I can't really pinpoint an exact moment, but I do remember that, like, as a younger child, like, even maybe late elementary school, probably, um, you know, just kind of seeing that the world was not this perfect place and um, why shouldn't I do something to help fix it and, you know, just make it a little bit better in some way that I can. And then as I grew up, you know, realizing that, there's all these opportunities to try and make it that better place all around me, and I just have to look for them a little bit harder. Um, and then, yeah, there's definitely sort of like, once I sort of got on that track of thinking, it kind of felt like now it's like this thing that I feel like I have to do, um, not out of like, yeah, it's sort of like a duty. It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing, but it's just mm-hmm. like now I, that's something I really want to do and continue to do. Well, I have a saying that, um, you know, we need to make the world a better place, and it's not something to fit in between uh, yoga and takeout sushi. <laughs> yeah. It's just exactly. not. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, Michelle, you, you get to see these students do these things. I do. How has this enriched you? And and I think you've got a little bit of an idealistic bend because you've oh, had yeah. this huge smile the whole time oh, you've yeah. been here. Oh, and yeah. How very, can you not love no, this? This is awesome. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> no. But. What makes you tick? And why, uh, you know, why are you, I mean, I'm sure you could be making a whole lot more money in private business than what you're doing right now. So why? So for me, volunteering is the family business. Like these ladies, it's an inbred part of who I am. Um, my mom and my grandmother are both lifelong volunteers. First time I held up my hand was in fifth grade. 
I was a crossing guard, so that that worked out pretty well. I didn't get hit by any cars, so that was always good. We have that in common. Yeah. That was the first time I held up my hand. Yeah. So I've been a lifelong volunteer, and I had the opportunity to um, to downsize my career. So that was a very um, nice opportunity uh, to be able to do whatever I wanted. And having been a volunteer for um, decades, volunteering about 20 hours a week, I had something to share. And this job came open, and the opportunity to share my lifelong experience as a volunteer with kids um, who are also inspired to volunteer and serve was too good of an opportunity to pass up. So I applied and thankfully got it. So one of the things I always ask the people I interview, um, you know, what made you an idealist? How did you get here? And I will tell you, the answer you just gave is very one, the frequent one, which is uh, somebody modeled it for me. Somebody close in my life, you know, a parent or a close family friend or somebody modeled it. And and, and this is incredibly important for our society as we become more screen-bound and more afraid because the challenge is to people stepping up, holding up your hand. I just love that to metaphor. Yeah. It's just great. Become far more difficult. It becomes more of a challenge. Yeah. So Susie and Astrid, I want to, you know, I don't often get, um, you know, teenagers in my presence anymore, although I've been a big sister to somebody who's 13 going on 22. We don't need to get there. Um <laughs> But, you know, tell me, what's it like in America right now for you? Do you have hope? Are you, you know, are you, are you feeling um, less than hopeful? Um, because this does feed into um, idealism. If you aren't idealist, if you aren't hopeful, it's very hard to be an idealist. Absolutely. Um, I definitely see some things in this country right now that are very concerning to me in many different ways. Um, but I am an optimist, optimist at heart, and I definitely do have hope, although sometimes it can seem pretty bleak. Um, but I think there's a lot of people, too, that not just adults, but there's a lot of teenagers my age that actually really give me a lot of hope just because they are very thoughtful mm-hmm. and they're super caring and considerate, and they just have a lot of empathy. Well, one of the things I'm seeing certainly out of our younger people is they're far more open to diversity and inclusion, far, far more open. I was just having this conversation with another 60-year-old on Friday Uh about, you know, why is it that way? And I'm like, you know what? Because the schools have done a darn good job about talking about how to treat everybody equally Uh and with respect. And I would say it doesn't even dawn on them not to be inclusive. I know. I know. You know, and I think that for me, the analogy is the seatbelt. You know, is um, my when my kids were in middle school, the idea of them getting in the car and not buckling up was just absolutely foreign. It really was. You know, I mean, I remember one of them yelling at me once, I don't have my seatbelt on yet. I mean, we're barely backing out of, the, out of the driveway. But I think it's the same thing about instilling principles and things. So what about you, Astrid? What do you think is going on? You know, how do you, do you have hope? Do you feel optimistic like Susie? I think I do for 100% for sure. It's kind of an easy way for a lot of people to think that um, there is no hope. A lot of people, you know, go straight to that and see the negative. But I feel like a lot of my friends both here and like across the country, you know, are taking a stand in what they believe in and are taking a stand more vocally and kind of not being afraid to the barriers that exist, kind of being willing to push them down. And I think, too, it's important to see not what's been taken away, but what's been left. So there are so many freedoms that have, you know, been taken away and so many um, barriers that have been put up, but it's so important to see 
the people that are still here and the people who are still fighting for those people who have been silenced or the people who have had their voices taken away. So I feel like it's so important that we give that power back to us, to the younger people who are still here fighting, even if, you know, some of our peers aren't able to. We have to be willing and realize that responsibility we have to uphold our voices in unison with theirs and not let ours overpower their rights. We can't have one or the other. We have to make sure that we're raising each other together um, up to higher, you know, potential and everything that we can do. Well, you know, I, I did a, a piece uh, about three weeks ago f- about the Parkland uh, students and yeah. about their movement around gun violence, and um, and I, I, I believe in I believe in the power of students. I believe in the power of speaking up. Both of you are going to vote in the election, I assume, on yes, absolutely twenty twenty, <laughs> and have all the people around you vote. I mean, that's what's going to be critical is having everyone. Well, we're going to run out of time here, unfortunately. Um, I do want to say to both of our students here, Astrid and Susie, I am just incredibly um, buoyed by um, you being here. I mean, you, you represent the best that this country has to offer. And I just love the idea that you have... You're not like getting on, you know, the idealist bang- bandwagon just to write your college essays, okay? That no. you have been doing this work for a long time. And I just want to say, as a human to you, I want to say thank you um, for doing that. I really do. I just really, I just, I, I want to tell you I respect both of you highly. But I'm also going to charge you right now because you're... You're going to get challenged in school. It's going to be overwhelming, um, you starting as freshmen. Okay, you're both going to high-caliber high schools, high-pressure high schools. Please, give yourselves some permission to take a break a little bit to get into the stream of things, but then please come back to it. Please. And talk about it. I cannot stress enough how we model for each other. We do. We, we see people doing things... And that causes us to believe that's what's reasonable, that's what's necessary. So, Michelle, thank you for the work oh, that you're sure. doing you with bet. these students. So, um, Astrid um, Laden, Susie Foster, and Michelle Seats, thank all three of you for being on LE 2.0 Radio and talking about what you've accomplished and uh, giving me permission to charge you about going forward and continue to do things. <laughs> they will do wonderful things. I know so, they will. All right. Well, thank you all. Thanks for being here. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having us. All right. Thank you. You've been listening to me uh, interviewing Michelle Seats, Astrid Laden, and Susie Foster from Minnetonka High about the program around varsity lettering and community service. When we come back from the break, I'm going to give you my C block and we'll go from there. Thanks so very much. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works 
LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming, diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And we're back on AM 950, LE 2.0 Radio. Hello again. Oh my goodness, those students. You know, my heart just soared when uh, I was interviewing them and hearing the great, incredible work that they are doing. I don't think it's any coincidence, by the way, that they were both females, both girls, both, excuse me, young women. That's girls would be very wrong, Ellie. I don't think it's a, I don't think it's a mistake at all that... They were women, young women, doing that kind of volunteering. So, um, C-Block, talk a little bit about stuff going on in my world. Um, you also got some of that at the beginning of the show. Sorry. Um, no, I'm not sorry about that. I recently had somebody remind me that I need to stop saying I'm sorry about things. Although, um, in this piece, you'll probably hear me do that. So, last week, I received a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal as part of its business, Businesses of Pride celebration. So to its credit, the St. Paul, Minneapolis St. Paul Business Journal last year started this um, award uh, celebration during Pride Month, which is June every year, to highlight LGBTQ people who are working to make a difference in the world. <laughs> I really compliment the Business Journal for doing that. And last uh, Wednesday, um, they recognized a number of people, maybe 15, for their community engagement and involvement. I mean, one of the people they recognized was my OBGYN, Deborah Thorpe, from Park Nicollet Hospital, Park Nicollet System, <coughs> excuse me, who, um, let me just tell you, um, has uh, created a transgender-friendly um, program and single-handedly has saved hundreds of transgender people. So she got an award, but they gave me the Lifetime Achievement Award, which I still don't understand exactly, but they gave it to me. Um, and uh, it was overwhelming um, because I, I, I found out when I got there uh, that they had my picture was on the front page of some 20-page insert that was going to go into the business journal about all of these pride um, award winners. And then I was told that there was going to be a video um, with people giving testament about the work that I am doing, about um, how I touch people. And I, you know what? And I'm reluctant to be even sharing this on the radio with you, but I need to make a point. That's why I'm telling you about it. So I am not one who looks 
for aggrandizement. I'm actually very wary of it because I know that it works on the human brain and the human ego, and I don't want to get there, okay? I want my work to be what I stand for, not my personality. Um, and, um, and, 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 and so I'm reluctant to talk about this, but I, I want to talk about it for a couple of points. One is I was able to get I, they gave me an opportunity to say something after they gave me the award. And um, originally I, was, I had seven minutes and my timer went off in the middle of my talk and I asked, can I keep going? So I think I took up 10 minutes. But I used that occasion to talk about hope and compassion, about my work of going to places where I'm usually the first transgender person anyone has ever met, and about the responsibility I feel about the great responsibility I feel about putting my best foot forward, about letting people to understand I am just like you, even though this voice and appearance doesn't match, and even though I got to womanhood a little different way than most women, I am just like you, looking for the same things, trying to get, make my way to survive the human condition. Um, at one point during that talk, I even pounded on the podium about how this is our moment in our country, a moment for compassion for all, for acceptance for all. The talk was well received, but I've got to tell you, um, you know, the business journal kept coming to me asking, who do you want to invite? Who are you going to bring in? And I'm like, I don't want to invite anybody because I did not want a table filled with people who are going to be like rooting for Ellie Krug. I, I just, that's not what I want to be known for. I want to be known for my work and I want to be known I want the work to stand for itself. I do not need to be this big, famous person. It would be great if the work was famous. Trust me, okay? So I'm not used to such attention. So I, I, did, um, I did invite my daughter at the last minute my, because um, she was involved with the organization that had nominated me. And, and by the way, I got nominated by a white-color straight woman who... Um, who took the step to nominate me to go to uh, some length to get them information, the, to get to the information in the Business Journal about my work. And I'm internally grateful to Carol Russell of the Russell Herder Marketing Firm because she was the one who nominated me. And she was a champion. So I talked earlier about, you know, Randy Merberg being a champion, uh, Regener and Block, Carol Russell also being a champion, gave, giving somebody people a voice. But here's what I want to say. I did not invite my brother who lives in Owatonna, in part because I, you know, didn't want to be, you know, fetid, okay, and also because I didn't want to put him out by asking him to drive all the way from Owatonna for something where they were going to celebrate me. Well, I later heard from my brother that he was pretty disappointed that I didn't invite him. Um, and I'm sorry, uh, Brother Mark, um, if I hurt you. I did not mean to do that. Um, I've explained to you and, uh, and you seem to understand why I didn't invite you. I've explained to you since, but I've just got to tell you, I, uh, listeners, I, I'm trying to learn how to navigate this stuff. Okay. Um, I suspect that this may not be the last time I get recognized and you can be sure that if that happens, I'm going to be inviting my brother. Um, but in the end, it really is about the work and, and I'm just trying to navigate the way this space works. And I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm doing it very well. And so um, that's me, an idealist, Ellie Krug, um, an idealist who doesn't get it always right. <laughs> okay, well, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, here I am always trying to talk to you human to human. 
And a lot of that is about vulnerability. So I need to give a big thanks to our sponsors, Brending Electrolysis. Contact Bev. Let her know that I recommended you. Um, and also Better Futures Minnesota. We heard from them last week. They're doing great work about giving people a second chance. A big thanks to my producer, Brett Johnson. Brett, you know how I feel about you. You are, like, awesome. And my listeners, a big thanks to you. Thank you for tuning in every month, please, or every week. Please download the podcast. Tell other people about it. Follow me on Twitter at Ellie Krug. That's my handle, at Ellie Krug. I'll be back next week with another show. And in the meantime, be well, do good. Thanks. Yeah.